Well, good morning once again. As always, a privilege to be with you guys and be able to spend some time in God's Word and uh, and look at who the Lord is and what the Lord is saying to us today. And uh, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 8. And uh, as we venture forward, we're going to be looking and honing in on uh, verses 21 uh, through 30 and uh, spending a bit of time looking at a continuation of a conversation that I'm sure as uh, as a body been going through on these Sundays, the Gospel of John. Um, uh, but to gain our context, I'm going to take a moment and just look back at a few verses previous. And once again, as always, I'm going to uh, often, as I like to do, read out of the Amplified Version. Once again, a version where they took uh, extra words and added them in around the uh, words we often have in our English translation to try and get to the fullness of the meaning uh, of that original language that we often can't get with one word in our translation. And and so in John chapter 8 and verse 14, it says this, Jesus answered, even if I do testify on my own behalf, my testimony is true and reliable and valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You set yourselves up to judge according to the flesh by what you see. You condemn by external human standards. I do not set myself up to judge or condemn or sentence anyone. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. My decision is right. For I am not alone in making it, but... There are two of us, I and the Father who sent me. What a great reminder this morning as Jesus spoke that he never spoke alone, always speaking the words of the Father, his words and his words alone, nothing more, nothing less. And as he, as he says these words, I remind you again, he says, listen, you don't know me and you don't know where I come from and yet over these last chapters in the gospel of John that's been the very argument that's been being held and so often that the confusion created in John chapter 7 just to remind you of a few of these things uh, that the the teachers around him as he began to teach It says they were astonished. Verse 15, John chapter 7, how this man had become learned, having never been educated. They marveled at the words that he spoke. They then said this in verse 25 in John chapter 7. Listen, some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man who they are seeking to kill? Look, he's speaking publicly and they're not saying anything to him. The rulers did not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. This is the point where Jesus cried out in the temple. He said, listen, you both know me and know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true. Whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. You see, as, as they began to speak, 
the great confusion was knowing Jesus and his earthly origin and that whole time missing his heavenly destiny. They, they thought they knew, but didn't. They thought they understood, but couldn't. And, and this whole time, great confusion in who they thought they knew and where they thought he was from. Now, as we get into our passage this morning, I want to summarize once more those verses. And this time I want to read from a paraphrase called The Message because he says it well. Words we just read in the Amplified, but listen to this. It says, listen, you decide according to what you can see and touch. I don't make judgments like that, but even if I did, my judgment would be true because I wouldn't make it out of the narrowness of my experience, but in the largeness of the one who sent me. It's not put well. Listen, I don't judge out of the narrowness of my experience, but rather in the largeness of the one who sent me. And if there's anything that we can take home this morning, it's going to be this, that as you look out of this world, as you live your life, are you living that life? out of the narrowness of your own experience and expectation? Or are you living according to the largeness of the One who sent the Lord Jesus? Big difference. And as we read our text this morning, we're going to see that very thing moving forward. Uh, Listen, and again, I'm going to start in John chapter 8 and verse 19 now. And we're going to read on and, and forward this morning. It says this. It says, listen, John 8, verse 19. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And when he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. And where I am going, you cannot come. The Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to Him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? As we read those words, two questions jump out. Number one, they asked, Where is your Father? Number two, Who are you? This brings me a flashback of sorts uh, to my growing up and having a TV in which we as kids perhaps watched a little too much. And, and in later years, it was those wild talk shows, uh, the sensational ones who put a group of people on a stage and then do a paternity test, right? And say, who is the father, <laughs> right? And then they'd flash it out and there'd be a dance of joy to the man who wasn't the father for whatever reason. I don't know why the wife was that uh, bad or not. And, and there'd be tears because the woman thought it was the father and it was a mess, right? A mess of their own making in many ways. 
And here, the Pharisees were creating their own mess in that they continually came back and said, who's your father? Who are you? And note Jesus' response. What have I been saying to you from the beginning? Note the Gospel of John, as we mentioned last time I was with you, is that Gospel which includes that word, not included in the others, which which is translated signs, attesting miracles. And in everything Jesus did, everything He did, it always said something about not, not just who He was in that moment, but who He would be to them as a nation. Note, He fed the woman, the Samaritan at the well. He gave her a drink and said, listen, if you thirst, come to Me and I am what? Living water. Come to Me and drink and you will never thirst again. He goes on, and as we looked at last time I was with you, He he went to the great Feast of Tabernacles. They took water from the spring, poured it on the altar, And in the midst of the great celebration of salvation of the Lord, Jesus said, all who are thirsty, what? Come to me and drink. You see, everything he did said something about who he was. He would feed 5,000 and go on to say what? I am the bread of life. I'm not just here to, to fix your physical hunger. I'm the bread of life. I'm here to fix you spiritually and meet that spiritual hunger. He, he was the living water that would quench the spiritual thirst. Remember that woman at the well who said, give me this water so I never have to come all the way out to this well again. Right? Always craving physical solutions. Jesus longing to give them the spiritual solution they needed. He'll go on and talk about the lost sheep that He's finding and say what? I'm the good shepherd. He'll go on and and when He opens the eyes of the blind in the next chapter and this whole conversation is wrapping up into a moment where Jesus is going to perform a sign, a messianic sign that was set before them that no one had ever done. Open the eyes of one born blind. And after doing so, He would say to them, I am the light of the world. Last but not least, in chapter 11, he'll go on and raise Lazarus from the dead. And when his disciples are distraught, and he himself, it says, wept. We are reminded of this. He says, I am thankful for your sakes that I was not here. Why? Because after raising him from the dead, he would go on to say, I am the resurrection life. You see, they wondered who He was. And yet Jesus says, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? Yet here's the problem. Jesus kept coming in such a way that He seemed to always defy, destroy their expectations. And if there's something the Lord's been reminding me this week as I've been pouring over some of these passages, it's been that very thing. Have my eyes become dull to the fact 
that though he's been speaking, what have I been saying from the beginning? I fail to see it because he's coming outside of my expectation of what I think he is. Listen, I think I've mentioned it to some of you before, but I'll mention it again. I found it challenging to say the least that out east as we worked in ministry, there was a priest, a monk with a vow of celibacy who had been to Cambridge to study theology. He was a philosopher. And one morning, often I'd go, challenged more by the air of what he said often than the truth of what he said because often it was a little bizarre to say the least. But one morning he said this, if you ever come to a Y in the road and one Y leads you to truth and the other Jesus, which road should you take? Goes against everything in you, doesn't it? <laughs> if you come to a Y in the road and one road leads to truth and the other road leads to Jesus, which do you take? Here was his answer and it was challenging to me. Always take the road to truth. Do you know why? Because at the end of that road, you will find Jesus, the real Jesus. But if you take the road to who you think is Jesus, you may get led and be lost in your own expectation of what you're looking for versus what? Who He is. Does that make sense? Challenging. But here it is. Jesus is speaking. Read the next few verses. That They keep asking, Who are you? Where are you from? We know you. We know where you're from. You're from Galilee. Verse 26. I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, Jesus says. But He who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from Him, these I speak to you. He says this. Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me, and He who sent me is with me. And He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He spoke these things, many came to believe Him. You see, they were so consumed with their understanding their thoughts that they knew where he was from. Galilee, a carpenter's son. That they missed what he was saying. They thought they knew his father. And by all accounts, we too could get confused with who was his father. In fact, not many people are listed in the Bible who have two entirely separate genealogies, is there? One in Matthew differing from the one in Luke. What's the deal? But when you go back, it's actually fascinating to look at. They had all the evidence they needed. Not only who Jesus was, but where He was from and who was His Father. It was already prophesied that the Messiah, the one they longed for, would come born of a virgin. Well, as you go back in Matthew and chapter 1, it actually gives us a genealogy of Jesus. But that genealogy is interesting for a number of ways. One of which is the fact that Matthew follows the story of Joseph. It includes Joseph's vision and the angel speaking to Joseph. 
And as you go back through, you see Joseph's genealogy leading back to David, but breaking with tradition. There's a number of things that go on there. One, this genealogy goes back to Solomon, the son of David, who was the king. But note, in there are actually four women. Breaking with Jewish tradition, women were never included in the genealogy. What is the common bond between these women? Fascinatingly enough, all Gentile women. And as we look at that genealogy, it's as though in many ways saying, listen, Jesus was coming not just for the Jews, but who also? Those Gentiles who would find their salvation in them. And Ruth and Rahab would find their names there. And Tamar. And and we see a genealogy, but, but there's something striking there that, that doesn't give us evidence of Jesus' ability to be king. In fact, it actually strikes uh, an heir in there. And in fact, when you read on, there's a name in that genealogy named Jehoiakim. And that name was actually prophesied, and I'm going to read from you in Jeremiah uh, chapter 22. Listen to what it says about this one. It, this, uh, it's actually Jehoiakim, and it says this. Listen, as I live, declares the Lord, even though uh, Jehoiakim, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would pull you off, it says. And I will give you over into the hand of those who are seeking your life, Yes, into the hand of those whom you dread, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. This is a descendant of David, a descendant of Solomon. It goes on in verse 30, and note this. Thus says the Lord, write this man down childless, a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. What does that tell you? In Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy, if that's true of Jesus, doesn't include Jesus in the throne of David. It actually gives more evidence to what? Exclude Him. Bizarre, to say the least. But telling for one thing. Because if Jesus was the son of Joseph, he would be excluded from the throne. The kingly throne of heaven, wouldn't he? He was not going to be the son of a man. Who is Jesus going to be? The son of God. And in fact, when you turn to Luke in chapter 3, we have an entirely different genealogy. A genealogy that doesn't skip names Uh, or put women in, which was outside the lawful custom of the Jews, but one that doesn't follow the line of Solomon, but rather David's son, Nathan. A genealogy that often, that is common practice in the Jews, was to actually, as it was law, not list a woman's genealogy by name, but rather her husband's name, A genealogy of Mary. A genealogy that would not include the line of Jehoiakim 
who was excluded from the throne. A genealogy that would go back to David. A genealogy that would prove that in every way that Jesus, through the woman He was born, fathered by who? God had every right to the throne of God. To the throne of David. You see, here's their expectations. We know where He's from. We know who His Father is. We know what His Father did. And yet, right before our eyes, we see evidence not of just who His, who his earthly father, stepfather who brought Him up was, but rather the genealogy that made Him a part and portion to the throne of God. This was His true Father. They thought they knew. The evidence was all around them. What He said. What He did. The records they kept. He was a part of the line of David. Rightful King. The Lord of Lords. And yet they missed it. Why? Because every time He came, He came outside of their expectations. I had a great conversation with friends yesterday who had just uh, been blessed this last week with a home. And it was a good reminder of these very things. They had been looking for a home for the last year, watching, waiting, and on paper they had made a list. Twelve things that they needed, they said to me yesterday, and there were about 30 things that they didn't need but would love to have. Right? And as they made that list with their young kids, you know, the things they needed... Uh, at least this many bedrooms, this many bathrooms, right? What would we like? <laughs> An extra bedroom and a bathroom for guests, you know? A family room to, to, to have Bible study. Um, they asked the kids, what would you like? They said, a swimming pool, uh, right? Uh, they said uh, to his, his wife, what would you like? A big laundry sink, if anything, right? They looked for a year, found nothing, and in fact... They were telling me yesterday their kids were beginning to get disillusioned because every time they'd find a house that seemed good, it would get snapped up within minutes and they'd not even get a chance to look at it, let alone put a bid in on it. And, and, and they waited and, and they were telling me this, that they began to look and all the while staring down at that list of needs and now beginning to compromise even that as they looked for a home, right? Okay, well maybe we could do without this and that. And then the Lord shows up and a, and a realtor gives them a call. Something's just come on the market and you're not going to believe it and sends them a picture. Half an acre with a swimming pool overlooking one of the lakes in Mount Zuhalem and Duncan. Okay, Giant laundry sink. <laughs> More bedrooms than they need. Uh, not just the giant laundry sink laundry chute from every room in the house, we became envious immediately, right? Uh, listen, didn't just tick off the 12 what we need. Guess what it ticked off? All 30 of the things they wanted, including the in-ground swimming pool that they said was a pipe dream, right? But here's the thing. They had stopped looking for it because they didn't expect God to actually fulfill it. Do you see what I'm saying? They didn't expect God. They were expecting the least of these more than what? But what have we known of Jesus so far? When a boy shows up with 
a few fish and loaves. Jesus feeds the crowd. And at the end, what did it say? All were completely satisfied. And they collected the leftovers. How does Jesus work? Not part way. When Jesus shows up, it's all the way. And yet, here's what they expected. God to come and follow all their rules. And when Jesus, every time, would take a step outside of their expectations, they became disillusioned. Why? Because here's Jesus, but it wasn't fitting with their idea of who the Messiah would be. It wasn't that Jesus was wrong, but they couldn't let go of what they thought. And this morning, I'm being challenged by this very thing. That every time God shows up out of the context of my own expectations, my own idea of what God is or will be, in fact, I should be prepared daily for God to show up in the way we least expect Him. Right? As we were talking yesterday with that family, he said to me, you know what? God has provided a house for us to rent. God provided a job for us. Why would I have doubted God provide a home for us when we needed most? I should have known. I should have known. And so often, that's the way we live. Hemmed in by our own ideas of what Jesus will do or will be in a circumstance. And often, that idea is far more limiting than, than, than God's Son is. My idea of what God can do in a person's life, right? My words, God, you can't use someone like that. God, you can't reach someone like that. God, you can't save someone like that. God, you can't change someone like that. And then God shows up. Yes, I can. (laughs) I will reach them. I will change them. I will save them and I will use them. Thanks for coming out. (laughs) And I'm left what? Oh, (laughs) you're right. Should have known better. God, you can't provide in a situation like this. You're going to give me the least of this. And God shows up and says, no, it's not that I can't provide. I will provide. Here's how and here's when. But my time is not your time. Some of my friends on Gabriola, wonderful Irish woman, getting on in her years, sat down, had a wonderful conversation with me a few Sundays ago in which we chatted. And she said, listen, I only remember one time in the poverty of Ireland when my brother opened the cupboard and saw nothing. And he said, Mother, what are we going to eat tomorrow? What are we going to have for breakfast? And she said, you foolish boy, tomorrow I will take flour and I will make a pound cake and by then the chickens will have laid an egg and we will have breakfast. God has provided. Why would you question? And and that woman said, the rest of her growing up, though they were poor, though they had little, you know what she never did? Question where the next meal would come from. Because her mother knew. Knew who Jesus was. Knew what Jesus would do. Not what they expected not to do, expected to do. And this is the challenge. They kept asking, who's your father? Where are you from? 
Jesus kept saying, if you knew who I was, if you knew who my father was, you'd hear everything I'm saying. Today, do you know who he is? Jesus again and again says, not only by what he says, but by what he does. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection life. He is all this. Do you know it? Second question, do you expect it and live in light of it? Because though these people had all the revelation they needed, they kept missing it. Because they were blinded by their own expectations of the Messiah was in the face of who the Messiah would be right in front of them. Who's Jesus today? What in your experience, coming back to that as we uh, began today, remember what I said? When I judge, it will be true because I wouldn't make it out of the narrowness of my experience, but in the largeness of the one who sent me. Today, as we go out these doors to live life, are you going to view the world according to the narrowness of your experience or your expectations of who God is or what He will do? That's what they were. That's how they missed it. Or are you going to view the world based on the largeness of the one that you know who is God the Father? working through the Son. The One who does greater than you can ever ask or imagine. And I know some of you like me are thinking, really? Did I just not hold out long enough for the swimming pool when I was looking for a property? <laughs> right? We don't know how God is going to provide in each and every one of our circumstances. But we know this. Seek first the Kingdom and all these things will be added. He will provide. Maybe not the list of all you want, but He will satisfy what you need. As we go out these doors, may we be those defined by that very thing. Those not narrowed by our experience and expectations, but broadened by our understanding of just how great our God is. God is daily going to be coming and shattering our expectations. Working beyond our expectations. But we'll miss it if we ignore it or get so locked down in what we think that we can't see it. And as we go on into chapter 9, we'll see Jesus says these words, listen, because you can see, you are blind. If only you were blind, then you would see. What's blinding us today? from seeing this good and great God in our midst. Sometimes it's our own idea or ideal of what we think He is or will do. And today we need to open our hearts and minds to who He is and all that He is doing and will do. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that this morning we can be challenged again by Your Word and reminded that You are alive and well that You are a God who did not come to fulfill our expectations, to fulfill our thoughts and desires, 
You came as the Messiah, the one we need. Thank you that today you satisfy and that today you are proclaiming not only to us, but to this whole world who you are and that we simply must open our hearts and minds, open our eyes and say thank you. Thank you for all that you are, all that you're doing. And may we cease to be those held back by what we think you can't do or won't do. Thank you that you are able, far more abundant than we can ever ask or imagine. Faithful is he who calls you and will bring it to pass. I pray that we would enjoy the journey watching you. But that joy will only be complete when we've truly received you in the fullness of all that you are. Thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.